0: One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. Welcome to The Times. To find out more, head to thetimes.co.uk. Every goal, every game, everywhere. The Times and the Sunday Times, now
1: with Goals. I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and in the studio this week, I'm particularly excited because I'm joined by Tony Evans, the football editor of the Times, former Ipswich Town and Leicester City legend James Scowcroft, and down the line, from Merseyside, it's Johnny Northcroft. Of course, we'll be discussing FIFA and a certain David Moyes. But first, let's look at the internationals. Tony, I want to start with you. The first thing that struck me, I'm so used to seeing games in this country, uh, basically because of the climate and because God decided that it should rain all the time here. These sort of lush, green, very well-kept pitches. I looked at the Wembley pitch and it looked like sort of a, a herd of buffalo had been let loose on it. Well, it wasn't quite there. The Buffalo as you know, Gab, it was uh worse, it was, worse. It was the Dallas Cowboys. But,
2: yeah, the Dallas Cowboys or, or
1: Cowgirls. Team. Tony Romo stinking up the pace. Yeah and Yuck.
2: Uh, and, and this disgusting Jerry Jones. The geniuses at the FA have decided not only to invite NFL teams to come and play on the Wembley pitch, but to, you know, basically in the long term, invite an NFL franchise to come and camp out on the sport and landscape. So that's a really good idea, isn't it? In this global competition for sport and fans and TV rights, let's do that. The FA geniuses in action.
1: Charlie, okay, I'm going to play Mr. Contrarian here and suggest that A, this is actually good because that way the FA can start paying off this, this giant uh, stadium and B alright so it's a bad pitch so what it's the European qualifiers you're playing Slovenia it might actually do you some good for when you go play away from home on bad pitches
3: of course they need to make money and I suppose you could argue that if, if, they, if they make money for Wembley then they can uh, put more towards the things that count like grassroots and so on if, if indeed That uh, the FA are going to do that, but I just thought it it, it just it's what it said. It's what it said about the values of the association, and I just felt there was a disconnect between this lovely ceremony with Bobby Charlton, so Bobby with his his dignity and his sense of history coming out to to give (laughs) Wayne Rooney a cap, and then you know you look behind him and there's an NFL logo and there's um, you know sort of gridiron markings up and down the the so-called Hallowed Turf. I just felt there was a. There's a really sort of jarring aspect to that and it didn't help the game.
1: James, can you just outline for us since um, you've played presumably on bad pitches and on very good pitches and you teach kids how to play football. We can imagine how it affects the game but uh, uh, is there something to be learned about playing on, on a
4: surface like that? Well there is something to be learned I can tell you now the, the England players won't be used to playing on pitches like that. The you know, the training grounds at all the Premier League grounds now will be absolutely you know, carpets. You know, like St George's Park is there. A little bit surprised Wembley Wembley pitch is actually fifty percent artificial with these Desso pitch, is it now? Um, so I'm actually surprised it's got in that bad a state really. It's probably the the artificial grass that's kept it together. So I'm I'm really, really surprised that the Wembley pitch was in that state. It's an age argue argument. Does the bad pitch hurt the bad? It's a leveller, isn't it? They, they call it a leveller. You know, and we we sometimes see it in FA Cup ties, especially in the early rounds, where you know you see these mud baths here, and it's hard to you know get the you know knock
1: the ball around really. So it affects the talented players more than it affects the bad players, oh, without a doubt.
4: And I think when you go out an hour before kickoff and you go and inspect the pitch, it's psychologically it's it's a bit of a, uh, a blow.
1: All right, Tony. Does this explain England's poor first half? Oh,
2: I think
4: there's uh, loads of reasons for it. I think not just the pitch.
2: the, the You know, sort of the, the approach England take to things. Uh, Roy Hodgson's approach, dare I say. Um, you know, I'm his biggest fan. I, I, I mean, it's difficult because in this group, there's not a lot to be learnt and the standard of the opposition is so low, it's hard to judge. But the first half was just a really... Well, it was, a, it was a tired performance, a bit lazy, a bit mentally weak, and um, and a bit incoherent. I mean, they were better in the second half, so, you know, and all you've got to do is win it. There, there was a little bit... I mean, what, what's got me about this, and, and this uh, this tournament when you're playing these teams in this group, James, is that they've, they've allowed the defences of these very inferior opposition to sit compact and not stretch them, not use any width about it. It was a bit like down the first half again. Johnny, do you agree with that?
4: Well, yeah,
3: I think that's a good point because there's a game plan that, that I think spurred by Gary Neville that, that, that Roy Hodgson wants to sort of get towards, which is playing with a bit of speed and, and, and counterattacking. But the reality for England, particularly in this group, is that against most teams, they won't be able to, to counterattack. They'll face teams sitting in, 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 you know, very, very deep, sitting in a sort of compact block and you've got to find other ways to to break them down and england can look at their worst against that that sort of team they were they, you know they were similar against estonia away they don't have really penetrating passes from midfield i know jack wilshire played some nice sort of longer balls but you know i don't feel that there's anybody that's really going to play that really clever ball from from the edge of the area so if you're not going to do that then you probably need to to get wide as tony said but that, that, you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a lack of wing play and there's a lack of desire to use wing play. More importantly, from from Hodge. it didn't surprise me that much that that, that England looked so so stodgy. Um, it wasn't how it had, there was an individual aspect to it as well. I think Jordan Henderson's in a bit of a slump at the moment, and, and his poor performance didn't help in midfield. But but going forward, they probably need to look at using a bit more width in these situations. Definitely.
1: All right, let's let's not be negative. Let's get some England positives here. Scully, Rory K. Smith, doing his ratings in the game on Monday, uh, suggested Nathaniel Klein, um, he gave him his highest mark of all, and uh, suggested that, you know, maybe when Glenn Johnson is back, he shouldn't really be first choice anymore.
4: Uh, You're okay with that? I don't think he did himself any harm. I think if you go back to Jonathan's point, um, the, the, the problem England have, when they play a diamond, you do lack width. So it's the fullbacks that actually give you the width. And Daniel you know, Klein saw a lot of the ball. You know, I think he will be a star. I think he will go on and earn many a cap. So I think he'll probably outgrow Southampton as well. Is
1: he better than Callum
4: Chambers? I think at this moment in time, yes, yeah, I would say he's a former teammate of mine. I, I think I played in his debut at Crystal Palace you know, a few years ago. So he's he's an up and coming star, but I think he, he, you know, coped with it very well. Like you say, it wasn't really a great England performance, was he? But it was probably the one star that that came out of it. The other star I thought Tony was um, your, your, your centre
1: forward, um, Danny Welbeck. Uh, I thought it was a. The, 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 the second goal was was very well taken, I thought. Well, I think he's great. I mean, and I don't care all this stuff that people are
2: always saying about him. That you know, oh, you know, he, he sort of scuffed it, he missed it, it, he was lucky with it. If you yeah. score a goal, does it doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, where did you have to make everything a thing of beauty? And the um, no, I thought I thought he was very good. I, I mean, he's, he's he's got pace, he's got movement. He again, he's the sort of player who'll drag centre halves out of the comfort zone by running across them no no, he's, um, he's done fantastic over the, the course of this season and, and to be honest he did quite well last year for Man United in a really
4: underappreciated yeah. role that um, didn't suit him I think he's a player that's hard to ignore isn't he and I think he's vital to England because like Tony says he stretches the back four you know if teams are going to to sit in and, and and be compact and everything, you need somebody who's just going to try and make those darting rungs and just try and sort of disturb them. Really, I actually thought Rooney had a a, a reasonable game as well as at the game. And mm. I thought he did okay, Rooney. Yeah. What,
3: what what interests me is that Rooney and, and and Danny play very well together. Rooney Rooney and Welbeck's a combination. Welbeck and Sturridge is a combination. Rooney and Sturridge doesn't look so much of a combination, and that's going to be an issue. So it's interesting on performances and what he brings to the team he should arguably be the first name and not not, not number three in the pick
4: who, who would you go for, Jonathan? Sturridge or Welbeck? I know Sturridge is injured at the oh. moment Yeah, oh. instant Paul here, Johnny Come on.
3: I'm a big, massive Sturridge fan I would probably probably would go for him uh, and I'd, I'd, I'd probably look at trying to get Rooney in at the top of the diamond because he's starting to do that for, for United but I, I wouldn't, I certainly would Rooney because he showed yet again you know that he—he he is the one that he is the one that comes forward and actually does something to affect the game. Even no matter how he's playing, he's still the man that does that for England. And in senior, I think you can't ignore him. So I'd play him. But I, you know, I'm a huge Sturridge fan, too. So I suppose i am i am now saying that you've got to re-jig re- the team in order to get all three of them in. maybe abandon the diamond. I don't know.
1: You want all three of them in, really?
3: I, I would, yeah. What about Raheem Sterling? And him, I mean, imagine. And him England, too. Why not? Well, I don't think England have got so many top players that you can you can ignore the the, the power at that quarter. You really
1: think it's going to happen with Roy Hodgson as England manager?
3: Well, to be fair Roy, he's played four attackers before. He, he did it at the World Cup. Yeah, exactly.
4: And then win. then use the attackers auxiliary midfielders. That <laughs> worked. Surely he's going to abandon the diamond system when they play you know, good good teams. You know the lack of protection yeah. in front of the back four mm. with Jack Wilkshire. You know, if, you, if you're playing Argentina, you've got people like Aguero and Messi popping yeah. up in little holes. Jack Wilkshire isn't really going to give you a lot of protection, is it? And that, that's you, nothing to against I, I Jack think, Wilkshire.
1: To be fair, I don't think we well, no have to worry about playing Argentina, Argentina like. <laughs> given that I don't think he'll be around next time uh, there's a World Cup. But um, who, who's your pick, Welbeck or Sturridge?
4: You'd have to say Welbeck, wouldn't you,
1: Tony? Welbeck at this point. All right, let's talk about another England striker. Wayne Rooney, 100th cap, scored a goal, equal with uh, Jimmy Greaves now. It's the never-ending debate and, and people seem to take relish in it, this sort of polarization about has he lived up to his potential and, and, and what not. Given that he's likely to retire as England's greatest ever goal scorer and possibly Manchester United's greatest ever goal scorer as well. Tony, does he get a bit of a rough ride? Have you been unnecessarily harsh on him? No, no, he was never as good as we were told. You know what? sven
2: and Eriksson told us he was, was what the young Pele, the white Pele. <laughs> it turns out he was just all right. And he's never been as bad as everyone says. He's somewhere in the middle. He's, he's a good player. He's not as explosive as he once was. His touch just seems to have deserted him a little bit. But you'd have him in the team. And uh, it, it's the, the desire to have him, in, make him into a whale beater, which he's never ever quite been, or if he was, was so brief as not to count. Is is just so desperate
1: from the British press and public that sometimes it's embarrassing. Johnny, I, I'm interested in this idea that you know he sometimes somehow could have achieved more, um, and it's he's, he's almost like a reflection on his character, because frankly, I look at. The, the top five uh, England goal scorers, and it's, uh, it's, it's Bobby Charlton, Gary Lineker, Jimmy Greaves, and uh, Michael Owen. Mm. And I would look at, in terms of physical gifts and, and talent, Greaves and Charlton are a little bit before my, ma- my time, but through the magic of YouTube and videos, I'd argue those guys are certainly more talented than Wayne Rooney was. Lineker, I'm not so sure. Owen, I'm not so sure. So you could make the point that you know, he certainly lived up to to what his talent suggests, right?
3: Yeah, I think if you just talk first of all about that list, you'd also have to you know, the, the, the figures aren't available, but I'd imagine if you had assistant to the mix, then, then Rooney's probably been involved in more England goals than anyone except Bobby Charlton, so you'd, you'd take Greaves and Lineker and Owen as, as out-and-out finishers, and, and Rooney's always been slightly more than that. He's certainly got immense natural talent in terms of the era of English football that he, he, he plays in, but like Tony said, he's not. He's, he probably, he's not, and probably never has been, of the Ronaldo or Messi level. He did a number of interviews last last week. He sat down with the Sunday papers on the eve of the game, and he did remind us that, you know, he, he said he said I'm not a natural athlete, and he reminded us that he's got a body shape that, that that led people when he was 16, 17, 18 to say, well, this kid's you know developed before his time. He's great now, but he's you know, by his mid twenties he's gonna be tailing off. And Rooney quite rightly sort of is pointing out, Well, you know, I've done I've done rather rather better than that. I think he's more or less made the most of what he's got. You never see a lack of effort from, from, from Wayne Rooney, not really. Um there might have been a spell where he could have lived better off the pitch, but I think he's he's through that now. So yeah, I think I'd agree with Tony's assessment and I'd say he's got to just about where he, was, where he was always going to get to and then you add the statistics into it you know he doesn't hide he, he will do something even when he's not performing well you know I'm all for him and I, I think there's a sort of there's a there's a trend there's a sort of trendiness to to talk him down as if it's as if it shows that you're a you know you're a great east seat and you know more about world football than anyone else if you say oh he's not as good as this this and this I actually think that's like ignorance because I think if Rooney played for another country they'd be pretty pretty happy with what he's done
1: James, the, 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 the stock criticism of Rooney is that he hasn't done it in, in major tournaments. And I sort of looked at this, and if you go back through them, in 2004 he certainly did do it, and, and did very well until he got hurt. In 2006 he was carrying an injury. In 2008 Steve McLaren failed to qualify England. In 2010 he was injured. In 2012 he missed the first two games through, through suspension, but still I think scored in the tournament. And this time around, on an absolutely wretched England team, he scored a goal and, and, and had F- an assist. Wing. Yeah, I mean, whatever the absurdity of Brazil was. But so when you add it up, if you take those, those factors into account, and I think empirically you probably should, it's not
4: terrible, is it? I think he's the most underrated player that we've got in this country, the people that put him down. You, you know, you're comparing people like Greaves and Lineker and Michael Owen, they're out-and-out goal scorers. They're the, you, your fox in the boxes. And, and, you know, as good as anybody in, in world football and scoring goals, you know, you're you Gary Lineker. You, Wayne Winnie's got so much more to his game than those three players, you know. And, and if you look at it, he's, yeah, he does play up front, but a lot of his England career, like we'll say, has been played in different positions at the moment. He's playing just behind the front to the, the, the tip of the diamond, etc., etc. So I think it's very hard to sort of say, well, he was a better goal scorer than Wayne Rooney. He was better than this. You know, I think if you actually look at Wayne Rooney's all-round game, his all-round game is up there with anybody who's worn a, a white shirt.
2: Well, well, I'm wondering whether that's part of the problem with him. That he has been shunted around. Yeah, he has, he, yeah. is, he mm-hmm. you know, he is very versatile. He can play a number of positions, and no one's really ever worked out his best position.
4: It's probably up top. He can do everything. If you look at him, you think, well, what's his weakness? You know, technically he's very, very good. You know, he says he's not an athlete. I, I, I think his he, body shape and, uh, you know, these games slowing down, which you will do when you get to 30, and he'll have to adjust. And I think he probably will play the last two or three years of his game in midfield. Ugh. But if you look at him now, I can remember watching him for Manchester United, and this was four or five years ago, and he had gone over on his ankle, and Manchester United needed him so badly against Bayern Munich in the Champions League quarterfinals that he almost played on one leg, you know, and he had a spell for Manchester United, a two or three year spell, where he was as good as Ronaldo in his heyday, as good as uh, any United player that I've seen as well. I just think we we overlook, and I think at the moment, he suffered in Ferguson's last year because he had a bit of a fallout and he was, you know, second best behind Van Persie. I think in Moyes' era, he's... played here there and everywhere and I I think we've, we've judged him in the last 18 months two years but if you look at his all round game especially when he first came on the scene was it Euro 2004 he was outstanding in that tournament and I think he deserves a hell of a lot more credit than what he's getting this week certainly
1: Right. Last week, we had uh, Michael Garcia's special uh, investigation into uh, the bidding for uh, the 2018 and 2022 World Cup. Uh, Or rather, we didn't get to see it because, of course, we only got to see a distilled version of it. What a man named Hans-Joachim Eckhart, the uh, head of uh, FIFA's ethics uh, panel's adjudicatory chamber, thought that we should see. I think it's safe to say we all agree that it was a bit of a farce and, and a freak show. But we've had two pretty prominent people coming out now and seriously talking about uh, boycotting World Cups, perhaps UEFA pulling out a FIFA, uh, namely uh, Reinhard Raubal at the weekend, who's uh, the head of the German League. And um, one of my favorite people, David Bernstein, who, of course, is the former chairman of the FA. And I guess now that he's no longer in a job, he can come out and say stuff like this. Tony, your take on this? posturing isn't it I mean you know
2: Bernstein well I mean he was useless when he was involved in the FA so why should he be any more worthwhile after he's gone Um, I don't think there's any reasonable hope that Germany will in fact pull out of FIFA I I do think at some point FIFA may well self-destruct the way things are going but what's interesting is in all these conversations that no one seems to be thinking what would happen in the event of that Caring and um and, and what what the football landscape would look like. The European Clubs Association are probably waiting, rubbing their hands, waiting for it all to happen. But I, I think it's it's all a storm that's up. And the worst thing is, the average man in the street can't get excited about it all. And even though it's got huge ramifications for football, it's um it's a bit. No one's ever engaged me in a discussion about FIFA. No one's
1: ever come up to me in a pub and says, oh, you're the football editor of the Times. What about FIFA? Well, we're trying to do this now. Uh, Johnny, I, I kind of feel that the interesting thing, I mean, I, I think there is a way to do this, actually. And uh, I wrote about it several years ago, and no doubt wrote it, write about it again. But mm-hmm. eighty, at least 80% eighty to 85% of FIFA's income comes from selling the television rights and the sponsorship rights to the World Cup. Now, those rights are not equally (laughs) valuable, right? The rights for Bhutan aren't worth as much as the rights uh, for, say, Japan. If you were to get the US, which is the most valuable rights in the world, and the second most valuable, which are the Spanish language rights in the US, and Mexico, and Japan, and Germany, and France, and Italy, and and England, and Australia, if you were to get a group of like-minded countries with very valuable uh, TV rights to come out and say, you know what? we're not gonna participate this time around, then the broadcasters in those countries presumably wouldn't pay for the World Cup or wouldn't pay uh, comparable amounts. You could set up an alternative competition that summer. I mean, surely that would force FIFA to the negotiating table, right?
3: Gab, yeah, I, I agree, I've I, I just written down on a, on a bit of paper that the, the, the countries that lost out because of the, this bidding process. And, and as you say, the US, Australia, England, Japan, Korea, you know, just, just taking those, those countries alone, if they were the, 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 the coalition of the, the wronged or whatever you want to call it, um, if, they, if they boycotted the World Cup, the TV markets from those countries alone would stop FIFA in its tracks. It would take strong administrators to do it. Do we see strong administrators at, 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 at the FAs anywhere? Certainly in, in the countries spoken about, I'm not sure if we, if we do. But it would—it's the only way, I think, to 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 stop the 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 ongoing, I suppose, avalanche blatter regime that's been in 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 charge for for so long. The problem is, as Tony touched on. There's there's a lack of there be a lack of support for that from the, the public because, sadly, there's a there is almost a sort of um, corruption fatigue among among fans. You know, when you you, you sort of do a story about. FIFA for corruption or, or try and get them interested in it. that. It's like MPs' expenses. People shrug and sort of say, well, that's what we expect. You know, that, 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 of course they're corrupt, you know. Move on to the talking about football. So, When you make decisions
0: for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's stamps.com code
3: PROGRAM. There just doesn't seem to be enough of a public uh, feeling for it, but if somebody could lead properly, if, if and maybe it would have to be the FA if they could lead properly on on the issue and try and do something. Yeah. try to beat the, the the US, I think that'd be the first FA they should they should try and get involved. Then then yeah, maybe we would get something out. Would Greg Dyke do it? Greg Dyke only wants to. To give a couple of sound bites and make himself look good. So, well, so, I, you know, I think be the man after
1: him. I think for that reason, actually, Greg Dyke would probably enjoy being sort of a buccaneering <laughs> protest leader. I actually don't think the FA should be in the forefront of this. No? Um, I think you should join in, but let other people lead it for the simple reason that mm-hmm. nobody likes you. But 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 they should obviously be, be a part of it. James, you're a member of the public. If there was no World Cup in say 2018, but there was an alternative championship of the world uh, involving say england germany france italy uh, the u.s japan countries like that i think it would be very tough to get this big south american countries in for obvious reasons would you feel disappointed or would you see the purpose
4: in it i think you'd feel very disappointed wouldn't you and you'd feel very let down so you'd be against it yeah you say champions of the world how can it be a champions of the world if only you know six or seven nations are a are in there. Well, you
1: could invite more. You could basically invite all uh, the crappy UEFA nations into it. I, too, d- really I just think it would be
4: a very, very strong individual to actually start it. And I think there would be as much, you know, uh, let's clean up our own game first before we start. To be against the boycott. Yeah, all day long.
1: Tony, the other thing is, if you were to do something like this and you get FIFA to the negotiating table and they say, OK, what reform do you want us to make? What would you want?
2: Well, I mean, what you're talking about really is uh, like the IOC's Salt Lake City moment, where you completely change the uh, uh, the way it operates and and the transparency with it. But I don't think there's any real appetite for it. I, I don't think within football there's too much self-interest from each of the individual FAs, and uh, there'll never any there'll not be leadership because no one wants to stick their head above the parapet. And also, how do you get all these various uh, sort of disparate? Groups across the world to agree to, to do it. Uh, it. It's one of those things where I just can't see that there's a coherent way out of it. I suppose uh, one of the fact that the problems is FIFA's extraterritorial. There's no government body that can
1: actually clamp down on them. And, well, and there's cass. Well,
2: hmm. there is,
1: right. and but you could sue FIFA in a Swiss court. But, but I'm saying you have to have a reason to do it, mm. right? And it's kind of like if if you bring them to the if you do this, and you bring the negotiating table. What do you want from them? Well, exactly, What can you make them that, do? But, again, go back to where it starts off. No
2: one's got a ho- coherent idea of what next, and you know, and that's where we should be starting. Okay, right? FIFA's corrupt. So, what do we want? Uh, frankly, I don't know
1: because I haven't talked about it either. Well, Johnny, we, we, we say FIFA's corrupt, um, and uh, Johnny, yeah. we say FIFA's corrupt. I think, um, I hope, um, we all know people who work for FIFA that what we really mean is that the corruption lies in certain members of the executive committee, yeah. in the heads of the FAs who vote. And the reality is the executive committee, those guys aren't appointed by FIFA. They're appointed yeah. by their confederations They're voted on by the members of those confederations, Blatters elected by the, the 209 member associations. Is actually the problem one of democracy and that, you know we're giving votes to certain FAs in certain countries where you know maybe they don't have a great track record of corruption and transparency and they don't really care about this
3: there's an element of that but it's a it's whole mechanism isn't it I mean I think if you had a cap on on spending on on any bid for for a tournament and you know there's a proper transparent process and and as I say there was there was a cap on what an association could spend and the accounts were there. you could you could see where the money had gone, and this sort of courting of of ex-co members would would stop. If there was a transparency in terms of looking at gifts and so on, um, you could you could nip that in the bud. If there was maybe a cap on on how long you could serve on on the on the committee, you know four yeah. year terms, four- year term for the president. You know, there's a number of things I think that Tony touched on that the IOC have have, have, have done that, that that FIFA could could follow. I mean, I'd like to see it moved from from Switzerland to stop hiding behind all these sort of very benign regulations that that mean that nothing ever has to be disclosed. You know, I, I think there's, there's there's a number of things that could could drag FIFA a bit more into into a sort of modern and and transparent and, and credible. Organisation and and, you've got got to try. We can't can't allow this sort of corruption fatigue just to. To, to make a sale well, you know, it's, it's just the way things are. And so we, so we go, you know, on and
4: on and on. Is it worth? Sorry, Gab, Is it worth putting pressure on people around FIFA and Set Blatter? And <laughs> that's, um, for example, that you know, the vice president is Jim Boyce from from Northern yeah. Ireland. You know, he's on our. Well, he's third. one of
1: many vice presidents, well, and he's not. He's also not a real vice president. He's also he's only there because you people invented the game, and so on a rotational basis. The uh, Irish FA, the Welsh FA, uh,
4: the Football Association, and the SFA get to have somebody there. But yes, I agree with you. You Yeah, surely we can put pressure. I know there's many vice presidents, but if you put pressure on a a few of them to start asking questions and you know disagreeing with certain things. In 2002, I believe it was when Blatter ran for uh, um, for election,
1: uh, he had I think it was four of the of the six vice presidents standing up and saying, you cannot vote for Blatter, he is corrupt. Mm-hmm. He had the general secretary of FIFA, basically his number two, Michel Ruffinen, stand up there and say, do not vote for Blatter, he will bring more corruption. And he still won. So I think that might answer your question in part. All right. well, we need to move on from FIFA. I know you guys would love to talk FIFA. Next best thing to talking FIFA is talking Moyes. Um... <laughs> Now, he was unveiled as manager of uh, Real Sociedad last week. Uh, I thought it was a bit of a clunky unveiling, and he probably could use with a little media advisor. Did you guys see the press conference? Did you see pictures of yeah. it? Yeah. With the yeah. giant Moy's yeah. head. It looked absolutely uh, absurd. He also fell into a trap question, and, and this is where we in the media really are kind of nasty and mean sometimes. Johnny, I'm sure you followed it. They asked him, yeah. "Are you more Mourinho or more Guardiola?" There is a correct answer to that question. The correct answer is neither. I'm David Moyes. I'm my yeah. own man. Now that's the boring answer. But instead, he answered it probably more honestly and accurately, which he said, "Playing style-wise, he's more like Mourinho." Probably not the sharpest thing to do, right?
3: You will always lead David Moyes into traps, though, because he, he he is he's honest and he, he he sets um he sets store by just. You know, trying trying to be be that way. So yeah, it was it was a cheap trap. I, I saw that and I thought, yeah, it's something you should say. But and um, you know, I know what you I know what you're going to say. But what he did do with that answer, which I think is the reason that he, he, he should do well at um, uh, La Real, is is he, he explained that like Mourinho, I, I demand organisation and work ethic. Um, although obviously we know Guardiola. Works. Play very hard. Yeah. As well. Unlike
1: all those managers who right. encourage laziness and uh, <laughs> yeah.
3: disorganisation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, um, but you know, I, I think there's a there's a there's a sort of super organisation and, and and super sort of um work ethic that that, that Moyes would would see himself as having in common with Mourinho, and from what he has gauged so far, that's gone down very well. That the, the directors there wanted him to. To come in and and add an edge and 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 add some more intensity to the club. He's spoken to the players there about what he wants from them, and and you know work has been at the forefront of it, and he feels they've embraced it so far, and that you know it should sort of play well with the traditions of that particular area, and and that the football players and football clubs that they've always produced there. That that this kind of um, this sort of almost English um, intensity that, that Moys would would hope to, to bring should, should sort of work quite well. So yeah, I, I, I think, I think the, uh, the second part of that answer explains why as long as he can communicate properly he'll, he, he may be a successor.
1: James, you look at, with the exception of Steve McLaren, I, I, I can think of few uh, British coaches of Moise's standing. Who have gone abroad? What do you make of this? And would you
4: go work abroad? I'm not going to mention Bobby Robson, no. Well, it, but that was more like what twenty years ago. I, I think if you look at the bigger picture, gap, the pathway now for for British coaches is blocked. You know, and if you look at David Moyes, David Moyes not going to get a top four club now. And if you look at maybe the clubs underneath, are Tottenham or in Everton, you know that looks like that that pass blocked as well. So you look at it and you think, well, I can get a bottom half of the cha- uh, Premiership side, which is just going to be about survival and, and if I can get them into mid-table, I've done exceptionally well. So, I think you're going to see a trend now. I think if he, if, if Dode Moyes goes and does well, which I think he will do, I think he'll be very determined to do well at, at Sociedad, I think you'll see a trend of English players La Real,
1: don't make the same mistake he did. It's not called Sociedad, it's called La Real. La Real. There you go. You're, you're, you're re- this makes you more hipster, you see, James. Does it? Thanks for um, that. <laughs> uh, Johnny, was, was, that, was that his, his, his thought process? Because I, I would have thought You know what, if you sit on the sidelines, you suck up to the right people, you know, you're basically a nice guy, maybe a year from now, you know, yeah, you you obviously won't get Liverpool for obvious reasons, you're not going to go back to United and you won't get Chelsea, but maybe Spurs could open up, maybe somebody willing to spend money will buy Newcastle and maybe you're in there, maybe Roberto Martinez will move on to bigger and better things, you could go back to Everton, I mean... I guess he looked at all that and he just had the itch. No, I want to go back to work yeah. now.
3: Is that right? Yeah, and it's, a, it's and it's a risky game, isn't it? Because cause we saw Rafa Benitez sit and and wait and and sort of say to the world, well, I am a I am a Champions League standard coach, so that's that's the only uh, level I'll come back and work at. And he actually had he, he ended up waiting far too long. And that strange job offer from Chelsea, I think, almost rescued him. I don't know what he was gonna. Do next, you know, bring out another app or whatever, and, and, and thank goodness he came back. And I think that this, the good thing about David Moyes and and and, um, and this job is that he has taken it on gut instinct. He's taken it because, as he said in his press conference, it, it, it tugged at the heartstrings, and I think it had to be that way because after the investing so much emotionally in Manchester United and that becoming that ending in disappointment. I think the next job had to be something that inspired him and, and got him going again, rather than something that he was almost taking for the for the sake of it and the sake of getting back into work. And it's encouraging that it's not the easiest option that he was presented with either. He was given plenty of, of, of sort of invitations to talk about Premier League jobs, um, lower Premier League jobs. And you may know more about this than me, Gab, but into Milan Um, had an interest in him. There was the Galatasaray sort of flirtation. But speaking to him, Lareal gets him going much more than anything that's been presented to him. And I think he's going to... It has to be that way. As I say, he's going to have to pour a lot of energy and passion into this. And and the first requirement is that he must really, really want to do it. And just on the note of of coaches working abroad, that's an an appeal to him as well. You know, he does... He's very much a kind of union man in terms of the LMA and British coaches. And he does... He, he does like the idea of doing a Bobby Robson and being a bit of a pioneer, because Bobby did it for his generation, and David Moyes could do it for his generation. And, and if he could maybe reverse the trend a little bit of British coaches, uh, or rather, you know, Brit- British coaches never working abroad and foreign coaches coming to Britain. If he could reverse the trend a little bit, I think he would feel he'd achieved something.
1: I, I looked at this and I can see the logic. All right, you're taking on a team that finished seventh last year, finished fourth the year before, They've got a very good youth academy. They have some very good players. Inigo Martinez, Xabi Prieto, Ruben, Carlos Vela, and so on. So you figure, all right, even by inertia, they'll just go up the table and, you know, I'll I'll get them better than where they are now. And where they are now is only one team has less points than uh, than Real Sociedad do in the table. But by the same token, I'm wondering is, how much success does he need to to have four teams in the next tier up to notice. I I would guess it's taking them into the Champions League, but I look at it and obviously Real Madrid and Barcelona will always be in the Champions League places. Atletico Madrid right now are the defending champions. You've got Valencia who now have money. You've got Sevilla who are resurgent. It's not going to be that simple and I'm wondering with an 18-month contract uh, and Real Sociedad won't be spending any more money because that's not what they do. They're a selling club. Is this something where he could get them up to 7th and 8th and do well for himself and kind of be sort of Everton-like for a few years, but it won't necessarily get him back on the big time?
3: That was just problem at Everton, wasn't it? How, you know, how, what well, did he but, have
1: to do Everton? But at Everton, say? he eventually got in the Manchester United job.
3: Eventually, but it was a long wait. And you're, you're right, in this case, it is a, 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 a slight danger. I think the, one, uh, the thing that might be in his favour is that, from what he says, there's some very, very good players in the B team there already, young players, and they've got a good academy and they want to put more emphasis into it. And, and that that region does produce a lot of talent. So it, you will have to do it the Everton way, I suppose, except go and win something. probably needs to, to go and win a Copa del Rey or, or win a Europa League if you can get into that level. Right, time
1: now for some quick hits. Roy Keane is involved in some kind of incident ahead of the Scotland-Ireland game. And in fact, Tony Cascarino has the inside scoop for us in uh, the game this week. Uh, uh, apparently, he had some altercation with uh, some guy named Frank Gillespie who had written a book about Roy and... Roy didn't like it and supposedly ended up with uh, this Gillespie guy tearing pages out of Roy's new book in front of his eyes. I find this actually kind of hilarious. We don't know more. They won't talk about it, although the FAI made a point of telling us that it was Roy Keane who called the police and not Frank Gillespie. Tony, is this meaningful at all?
2: Oh, it's, I know I'm going to have to wait for the third instalment of the book, aren't I? There's uh, autobiography. Samuel Beckett's ghost in that one, isn't he? <laughs>
1: Martin O'Neill said his team could beat Scotland in Hampton Park, maybe so, but on the night it was Gordon Strachan who had the upper hand as the Scots won 1-0. Johnny, celebrate your boys' win, or have you given up your Scottishness for Scouserdom?
3: Not at all. Well, Martin O'Neill, of course, his team could have done it, but they didn't, and it was all about the result for Scotland. Head-to-heads are going to be massive in, in in our group, and, and beating Ireland, getting a, a draw against Poland puts us in a, in a superb position, and i been reliving Sean Maloney's nutmeg on, on Hendrick and uh, we'll curl curling finish uh, many a time and, and will continue to do so until tomorrow night when uh, there's another great win for Scotland coming.
1: Dally Blaine got himself injured in Holland's 6 0 win over Latvia. Uh, we'll know more after scan, but uh, James, as a guy with a certain simpatico for United, how concerned are you?
4: Well, it's getting embarrassing, isn't it? The injury list now, and they're talking four to six weeks. Uh, they had someone It could even be a rupture And if that's the case I think United might as well Just kiss goodbye To fourth place So well, What it says Well he's been like United's Dali- Best player this season Dali He's been the most Consistent player anyway and, and, I find that terrifying You know 17 injuries <laughs> <laughs> More than bad luck Wales hold
1: Belgium To a scoreless draw And are now second In their group Behind uh, <coughs> Israel uh, Tony Assess their chances Of making it To the Euros Everyone qualifies 20 Isn't that the point of it <laughs> no, not everybody. I, I think Everyone, we'll Luxembourg
2: might have a rough time. They're going to come close, are they? will probably go on air-to-air with Luxembourg with
1: someone. Everyone qualifies. They're going to qualify. Tony just adores these Euros. By the way, what's up with all those guys complaining about minnows in international football? Israel beat Bosnia 3-0. San Marino got a point from Estonia. Liechtenstein won away to Moldova. And the Faroes beat Greece on the road, which, of course, cost uh, crazy Claudio Ranieri's job. Uh, should some people who talked about pre-qualifying and all this snooty nonsense be eating humble pie right about now? Uh, and I'm asking you, Johnny, as somebody who comes from one of those minnow nations.
3: Oh, cheers! <laughs> um, I'm certainly one of those that, that, that said there should be pre-qualifying. I will eat half Ha-ha. a slice. Of, I will eat half a slice of humble pie because the qualifiers have been great, and they've actually found a way to give purpose to these uh, so-called minnow teams, because they do have a little more to play for. Of course, qualifiers have been great, but the tournament's going to be rubbish because it's going to have um, too many small teams in it. I'm not including Scotland in that, and uh, and it will start to resemble the qualifying. There'll be a lot of pointless games at the bottom of groups, and that's where we'll see the, the full nightmare of Platini's design. I
1: think you're so wrong, and I will prove it to you in two years' time. Mm-hmm. Enzo Fernandez made his debut for Real Madrid B at the weekend, um, which is noteworthy only because Enzo Fernandez's dad is some bloke named Zinedine Zidane. Scully, so, you coach kids. What's your take on this nature versus nurture thing? You've produced uh, a, a, a boy as well, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Go on, explain. Sorry. Meaning you've ha- you've had a son. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah. I, 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 I'm just interested. Like, should we even be? Should, should we just not be mentioning Enzo Zidane or Enzo Fernandez, as he likes to be called, at all?
4: Well, it, it's going to be impossible for him. I was at Arsenal's training ground last week and watched uh, Brooklyn Beckham train for the Arsenal under 16s and sort of everyone is, as is he good as his dad?" Really, I think it. I think what it does, if you've got a famous father, it opens doors up until a certain point, but at some stage, you've got to walk the walk.
2: Uh, Gab, I'll one for you. Um, Croatia plays Italy in drawing 1-1 The San
1: Siro. What was up with the flares there? Yeah, it was pretty wild, wasn't it? Um, Croatia outplaying Italy uh, isn't that big a deal when you consider Italy can only beat Malta 1-0 right now. The, the flares was the, the Croatian fans, uh, or, or minority of them, deciding that they wanted to interrupt this game. Uh, and they were doing so, and, and it's kind of depressing and sad that nobody in the media picked up on this. They just said, oh, Croatian hooligans, Serb weirdos. Um, basically, they're in a dispute with the Croatian FA. They have a major problem with a man named Dravko Mamic, who's the head of Dinamo Zagreb, and Luka Modric's agent, basically running roughshod, or in their opinion, over the rules, and uh, so they said "Well, we're going to teach you Croatian FA here, have a load of this, and we'll get the game called off, and um, you'll have to forfeit it. Don't think they will forfeit it now, I think they'll at to keep the points, but they'll have to play behind closed doors. Well, that's all we've got time for this week. If you haven't subscribed on iTunes and Player FM for Android, please do so immediately. Many thanks to my guests today, Tony Evans, who of course was here, then had to leave, and then came back to do the, to do the quick hits, we're grateful for that. James Scowcroft, And, of course, Jonathan Norcroft, read him in the Sunday Times. Check out thetimes.co.uk. Members get exclusive football, rugby and cricket highlights free as part of your subscription. If you're not a member yet, you can take our £1 digital trial today. Just search Timesport online. Bye-bye.
0: Your subscription to the Times and the Sunday Times now comes with access to every Barclays Premier League goal. Refresh your app, choose your team, accept notification and you're away. Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk.